Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books in some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. Liturgical icons have been a part of the Church's tradition from early on, and in 787, the Second Council of Nicaea defined dogmatically that the making and veneration of icons, along with the pictorial representation of what the Gospels narrate, is a holy practice. This practice is founded upon the mystery of the Incarnation. Consequently, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches in number 1161, all the signs in the liturgical celebrations are related to Christ, as are sacred images of the Holy Mother of God and of the saints as well. They truly signify Christ, who is glorified in them. The Second Council of Nicaea encouraged the making and veneration of icons. As St. Basil taught, the honour rendered to the image passes on to the original. Furthermore, contemplating icons of Christ, Mary, the angels and the saints moves us to contemplate and honour them. In part one of this interview, Aidan Hart discussed his top five books and icons. In the second part, he considers some further recommended readings. Aidan Hart has been a professional icon painter and carver for 40 years, with works in over 25 countries of the world, including with the Pope and other patriarchs. He's an ordained reader of the Orthodox Church and a frequent speaker at conferences and churches, and has been in numerous TV and radio programs. He teaches a three-year part-time course in icon painting for the Princess Foundation School of Traditional Art. He's published Festal Icons, Beauty, Spirit, Matter, and Techniques of Icon and Wall Painting, all published by Gracewing. What led you to become an iconographer? Did you study art in art college? Um, or did you study art precisely become a painter of an engraver of icons? Thank you for asking. Um, I studied English literature and mathematics and biology, um, and then had a brief sub- and then a, did a diploma in teaching. So during the diploma, I knew I didn't really want to be a teacher of teenagers anyway, but I had a scholarship. So afterwards, I either had to pay off the bond or teach for two years. So I did try to teach a little while, but I remember the day lying down a bit, and I was an Anglican, a devout Anglican at the time, I thought one morning, I thought, what do you really want to do? Forgetting all practical difficulties, imagined or real, what would you like to do? And I thought, to be a sculptor, I I grew up in an artistic family. Um, So I left teaching to go sculpting. um, And um, that was the thing that led me ultimately to the Orthodox Church, because I was seeking in my work to indicate something of the spiritual nature of the human person, and was looking at art that would help me do that. I was modelling many heads. Um, I had a few liturgical art commissions, but I was primarily exhibiting. It's this search for art that would help me to depict not just the outer physical, but the inner spiritual, that led me to the icon and then to become Orthodox. Um, so. When I became Orthodox, it was natural to start um, making icons and being a sculptor rather than a painter originally. 
I started carving relief wooden icons. And then the priest of the parish I was in suggested that I start to learn to paint as well. Um, so to, to answer your question, I've never, I've never trained uh, formally in the arts. To tell you the truth, art schools would have been pretty useless in that respect. <laughs> Most art schools, at least in Britain. I was in New Zealand at the time and in New Zealand as well, just dis discouraged of anything, um, the learning of any technique. So um, I'm quite pleased I, I wasn't sort of spoiled by uh, modern art schools. I think in America, you've got ateliers which do train you in skills, so that wouldn't have been so bad there. So I've had to go through that arduous process of, as it were, using my analytical scientific mind to, to analyse good icons, good artwork, um, to read um, scientific analyses of icons and this sort of thing. So if you mainly be like an archaeologist, really, to sort of dig below the layers to find out what's underneath, you know, why is this icon good? How has it been painted? And do you have a favourite icon? <laughs> Good question. Um, I have a favourite iconographer. He's a man called Father Zinon. He's a, a monk in, in Russia. Um, and what's interesting about him is that he started, as most Russians do, uh, painting icons inspired by the 14th, 15th century, Bob Rubilov, people like that. But then he realised, actually, for Russian icon tradition to reach that height, it first had to go through the more modelling, um, the modelled uh, Byzantine type of icon to understand how to simplify, because that, uh, the work of Rubidoff is flatter than the average Byzantine icon, which is more modelled. So he then began to, uh, Zenon began to sort of move back in time, using his inspiration earlier and earlier icons. So starting from uh, the 15th century, he's now back actually to really Roman works, um, sort of sixth, seventh century mosaics. Um, and being from a sculpting background, I really like the well-modeled uh, aspect of Father Zinon's um, work. Um, he really understands form. Um, unfortunately, some books and icons have equated spirituality with dematerialization. They said, oh, icons painted in Russia are more spiritual than icons and Byzantium because they're flatter, they're disembodied. But that's actually a very wrong thing to say. Um, you know, Christ transfigures us as embodied beings. So um, partially for that reason, the need to affirm the capacity of the material world to be grace-bearing, and because I'm a, a sculptor as well as a painter, I found Father Zinon's work um, the biggest inspiration for me. I was at St. Catherine's Monastery at Mount Sinai a week ago, um, and it's just wonderful to see the, the great icons there of the 6th, 7th century, the one of the Mother of God seated with George, St. George and Theodore either side. I love that one, the one of St. Peter, the famous one of Christ, of course. And um, with those interested in further readings, you've recommended three more books. First is your own festival icons, History and Meaning. In it, you explain the icons of each of the 14 major feasts of the Orthodox Church. What prompted you to write this book? Yes. Um, in fact, about 25 years ago, um, a priest friend who had a publishing company suggested that I, I write it, largely for the use of Orthodox um, as a catechetical tool. Um, so I did my first draft, and then his publishing company uh, went bust. Um, but then, um, having completed Beauty Spirit Matter, 
I realized that through my teaching, I run a three-year part-time icon course, as you mentioned. Um, and also, I noticed the tendency in the 21st century and last century for iconographers, Orthodox and Catholic, to copy icons all the time, which is a good beginning. But I wanted to show through this book that festal icons, that is icons of feast, the nativity, resurrection, etc., actually developed over time. That what we see now as the standard icon just didn't drop from heaven. In some cases, it took about nine centuries. So I had a number of purposes for the book. One was to show the development of the icon so that new icons now don't just have to draw on what became a standard one. We can draw on earlier elements if it's appropriate. I'm second there, I wanted to go as deeply as possible into the theology hidden and um, the icon of each feast and relate that to the hymns. A lot of writing of icons just looks at the icon in isolation, but festal icons in particular are painted for the feast and are brought out on what's called an anloy while the hymns are being sung. So for an Orthodox, these profoundly theological hymns written just for that feast are integral with the icon. So one understands the other best when both of them are in front of you. Um, the icon by itself can tell me quite a bit, but there are a lot of things in them. I'm looking, for example, at the icon of transfiguration on, on the cover of the book. And the two caves um, there, one underneath Moses, one underneath Elijah. So look at the icon, the caves, which actually are gold in them, full of light, wouldn't have a lot of meaning. But going through the festal texts, you realise, ah, I know why they're there now, because Moses had a partial revelation of, of God while he's hid in the cleft of the rock. He saw the back parts of God. And Elijah um, heard a still quiet voice while he was in the mouth of the cave. So they had a partial revelation of God in the Old Testament. Testament. So the caves are dark, as it were, and they're just sort of getting a glimpse. But here they're seeing God face to face in the transfiguration. So um, they, they behold God as light. So the caves there are full of light. So I, I wanted to bring together the um, uh, the word, as it were, particularly the hymns and the scripture readings appointed and the image. And next there is Egon Sendler's The Icon, Image of the Invisible. Why have you recommended this book? Yes, this is written by a Catholic. Um, Egon Sendler is um, a, a, a Jesuit, I think. So um, it's, it's, it's probably the most comprehensive all-round book, if you can, that's not a contradiction in terms. Like my festival icon book is the most comprehensive existing on, on festival icons. So my other book, Techniques of Icon Painting, is the most comprehensive in the English language on the technique. Um, but um, Econ Seamless, I think, is the fullest one that covers the whole range. So, for example, um, he covers the history of the icon uh, and then looks at the theological, the theology of the icon. Um, and then he looks at particularly the Byzantine um, expression of iconography. And then he basically has a more practical look at the icon and the, ge the geometrical structures underlying the icon, quite mathematical um, that. Um, he looks at perspective. Um, perspective is one of the things that people first notice about icons, you know, the strange perspective systems, inverse, whatever. So he analyzes that. Um, and doesn't just write from his own point of view, but he quotes um, other scholarly work done on this at different times. He looks at the symbolism of colours. He looks at the theology of light, 
um, the work by Pseudo Dionysius, for example. Um, and then he talks about the actual making of the icon. Uh, I think he paints icons as well. Um, so he, so he, he, he combines in the second, the third section, um, third section of the book, uh, quite a lot of detail in painting with the theology and the history and the underlying uh, geometrical systems. So it, it's, 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 it's really got a lot in it. Um, how many pages of actual text? Um, 244 pages, so not enormous. Um, and a lot of that is images as well, but a lot of, a lot of information. And finally, there's the meaning of icons by Leonid Uspensky and Vladimir Lotsky. What does this book add beyond your previous choices? Yes, um, the emphasis on this book is uh, giving a large format, it's quite a large format book, um, whole page images of icons covering the main types of icons. Obviously, you've got icons of Christ, the Mother of God, icons of saints, and then he covers the feasts. I cover the 14 major feasts, the 12 great feasts, and then the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, but he covers some other ones as well, like the protecting veil. Um, my own work is much, much more detailed for each feast. I think I might have about 40 pages or something like that. Um, he has about two pages. Um, so a different approach to mine, but um, he analyzes each each icon um, and uh, gives a th the, the fundamental theology behind that icon. So that's quite a classical introduction. It's been reprinted many times. So obviously, people find it very helpful. Um, and Losky, who's a great theologian, he, he writes more in general about the theology of the icon. Um, so um, sometimes it can be quite dense reading. Um, Spensky, I think, can be a bit harsh sometimes on, on the West. Um, his other book, The Theology of the Icon, works in two volumes. Um, I think he, he bashes the West a bit too hard. I wanted in my um, festival icon book, going through the history part, actually to show that iconography was a Western tradition. I would say after the Gothic period onwards, it began, began to get a bit too naturalistic and emphasise the, the outer, as it were, the reality. Um, but certainly up to and including Romanesque. And um, it's fully in the icon tradition. So in my book, I try to be more affirmative of, of, of the Western history of iconography. Um, but yeah, it's a good introduction. Um, it's, it's large format, the pictures. I, ca I can't say the... The printing is that that good. It was originally pub published a long time ago, um, but, but the text is, is is really deep and fundamental. Aidan Hart, thank you very much for taking us to your top, your picks of the top books on icons. Thank you very much. It's been very helpful. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again, and God bless.